Or a good time, I mean, whatever. Amen. It's a good start. You know, Parker always asks me, you know, he kind of has a sense when I'm preaching. He goes, hey, Dustin, you preach tonight? And I always tell him the same thing. We're going to try. We'll see. So I always end up slipping into lecturing, which I'm probably going to do tonight. Um, but if you will, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 19. And I'm going to start off with just verse 17, Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be going over this whole uh, uh, story here, but uh, I want to get some things out of the way first. This is the, uh, the story of the, um, the rich young ruler. So in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17, why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. Only one who is good. Amen. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for, for allowing us the freedom to come and preach your straight gospel, Lord, without any editing or without any, any watering down, Lord. We, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you will just anoint me, Lord, to, to speak out what you've given to me, Lord, and so that the people, Lord, can hear it, Lord. Lord, and, and grow from it, Lord, that this week they can chew on it, Lord, and, and be nourished and grow in it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What is good? Now, I, I've talked about a couple of different words before that I've preached on, justice being one of them, fairness being another, um, all kind of going in that same line is that there's an idea that we have of what is good, and then there's an idea, then there's what is good, the truth about what these things are. And so good in this setting, me, is the word agathos, or intrinsically good or fundamentally good, meaning that the origin is good. Everything that comes out of this thing is good. So when he says that God is good, it means that everything about him is good. Whatever he does is good. Now, sometimes we think things are good and they're not so good. But we think they are, but they're not. Everything we do, as far as good, is open for interpretation or perception. In fact, the turmoil going on right now and has been going on all year in our nation is coming from a desire on both sides to do good. Now, very few cases does a person do something knowing that it's bad they actually convince themselves that what they're doing is good. So, you know, lots of times we look at somebody, you know, well, how could they do that? Well, you know, they probably think they're doing right. They probably think they're doing good. It's our intention is the coin of the realm in this nation. The intention means everything. The result doesn't mean as much as the intention. So if your intentions are good, you could riot all day long, and you're good. That's a big thumbs up. But if your intentions are bad according to some other people, then it's a, it's a bad thing. You know, and that goes with a lot of things that, that, that's going on. It just depends on, you know, if the intentions are right, not necessarily if the results are good. You know, those can be bad, but it doesn't matter if your intentions are good. There are cases of bad people doing bad things, but a lot of bad things have been done in the name of good. Amen? Lots of bad things. One of the main origins of wrong expectations, as Rodney's been talking about, is a result of our perception that we desire, what we desire must be good. 
Therefore, God must be pleased with it and must grant what we want. Because if we think it's good, then God must think it's good, so God must do it. And then when God doesn't do it, suddenly there's something wrong with God. Not necessarily something wrong with our idea of what is good. Our public school system is a good example of this. I don't know any teacher out there that I've met who's looking to do harm to my children. Their idea is that they're doing right, but what they teach is wrong, but they're not teaching it thinking it's wrong or else they wouldn't teach it. They believe it's right. And they believe it so strongly that if a parent doesn't agree with it and tries to take their kid out of it, then there's something, then the parent is doing bad. That's where we're at. Are you following me tonight? It's, the, it's all about how we perceive things. But God, there is no perception about good. His, his idea of good is good, no matter what. There is a moral obligation, I love that term, moral obligation to oppose the church because what it says causes distress in certain people, so therefore it must be bad. Now what we say up here, no matter what it is, if it causes some distress in somebody, then the perception of this country is now it's bad, and it's going to start affecting us in a negative way. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Some of the greatest good that we try to do for our, our children is perceived by them to be harmful for them. Can I get an amen, parents? One time, Morgan was screaming at me so bad in her room, she actually yelled, why do you hate me? Because I just wanted her to listen to me and do what I told her. But she thought I was trying to do wrong by her. And this is a perfect illustration of how we deal with God sometimes, that he has a good he wants to do, but we perceive it as harmful. Has anybody, I want to I raise the hands on this, on this one because I want to see. Anybody ever done something that they regret? Now, how many people have done that thinking that it was a good thing? Very few times do we go, man, this is going to be so bad for me. <laughs> I can't wait to get, to get into this. No, we always think it's going to be good. We always think it's going to be good for us or else we wouldn't do it. You know, you'd have to be crazy to do that. And there are some crazy people out there. But we believe that it's a good decision at the time. So now that brings us to our text. Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read this whole thing. Uh, so starting at verse 16. I'm going to wait for Haley so, so we can all do this together. So starting at verse 16. Now, I'm going to be reading from the New Living, so King James is going to read a little bit differently. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? 
And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and I will have tre- and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, King James, I believe, says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? But it's really, he's, he's seeking a good deed. What good deed do I do? He just says, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And that, I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, nuance in there because we get this idea that, you know, well, you know, he needs to understand that Jesus is, you know, that God, Jesus is saying, well, the only one who's good is God and therefore he's proven to this guy that he's God and that he has, well, really, Jesus is going to tell him, hey, the commandments are a good idea and you, there, are, there are some good things that you have to do in order to, there, so it, you know, we get this idea that, oh, you know, he's just trying to get into a works gospel. Well, Jesus is agreeing with him that it is a works gospel. There are some things you're going to have to do to, to inherit eternal life. In James chapter 1, 17, verse 17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father who created all the lights in heaven and, casts, and, casts a, and never casts a shifting shadow. So I want you to understand this. Everything that comes from God, given, spoken, or taken away, is good. Everything. This is really tough for the human mind to grasp because we have an idea that things that God gives us, that everything that, that's good, it must come from God. That everything we perceive as good must come from God. And so this young man comes up and, and, and wants to know what good thing must I do to receive eternal life. And so Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, then you, which is what that word means, then you are going to have to, you know, sell everything and come after me. But also he says it's good to do all the commandments. You must do the commandments, you know, did you do these commandments? And the guy's like, yeah, okay. And we're like, well, you know, the commandments don't really mean anything nowadays. Well, they meant something there. Because Jesus says, hey, did you do these? And the guy says, yes, absolutely. See, there's a starting point that we have to all get to, and that's doing the commandments. That's the starting point. But we have this idea that we don't have to do anything like that anymore. No, there's some debate up there in church, in modern church, that, you know, there... Really, you know, does God, is God really worried about the commandments? Is God really worried about sexual immorality? Is God really worried? Well, these things are just baseline things. You're not even getting in the kingdom if you can't get these things figured out. And that's what Jesus is telling him. Did you do these things? Because we're not even having a conversation about it unless you have. I want to read this to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, I, this is Paul, Paul speaking. I can't hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you, something that even the pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. 
Now I want to read verse 9 through 11. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people to indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid greedy people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people or don't even eat with such people. See, the Lord started stirring something in my, in my spirit, and I want to try to make this clear because there is what pleases the Lord, and then there is what displeases the Lord. Now, I believe that any, every time you disobey God, you are displeasing the Lord, but then there are just straight things that God's not even dealing with. God, God's not even, he's not even having a discussion on whether drinking's okay or not. That's where a lot of the ministers are here is we're going to have to have a salvation discussion if we're going to have a drinking discussion. Those two go hand in hand. We're not having a church. We're not debating about whether it's good to smoke pot. We're not debating on whether it's good to vape. We're not, those are not debates that I'm going to get into when it comes to a believer. It's really just going to have to go, well, I think maybe you just need to repent and follow Jesus. Because you're not even, you're not even, in, you haven't even entered through the straight gate yet if you're worried about those things. See, there is a concern that this man has because he has already done these things. There is a, an understanding, a moral understanding that even the unbelievers have. I mean, think about this. There are unbelievers coming to this church and they, and they repent and they love the Lord and, and you don't even have to tell them to stop doing certain things. They already know what not to do. They are, there is already an understanding what not to do. Sexual immorality, uh, being intoxicated, things like that. Those are, those are just baseline things. Those things, if they're in your life, forget about trying to please God. you got to worry about not displeasing him, about him not being mad at you for what you're doing. Because there are certain things that God's just not even going to tolerate. I'll illustrate it to you this way, and this, may, this analogy may work, it may not but it was what the Lord kind of put. There are certain th- foods that I just can't eat. I just can't even put them in my mouth. I hate them. There was this time when we're in Amber and I went to, uh, we had the family at a restaurant, and I saw this sandwich. I never had it before, but I saw that it had mayonnaise on it. So I told the waitress, hey, listen, no mayonnaise. Got that? Good. Comes in, take a bite. There's mayonnaise in it. Okay. Chris has been with me when I've had him. He calls it a mayonnaise moment. Or I just, yeah. It's, it's not good. It's not good. But I, I kept my cool, and I just said, hey, there's mayonnaise on this. Can you just go, go make me another sandwich? You know, don't scrape it off. Just a new sandwich. Okay? So she, goes, she proceeds to lecture me on, hey, you know what I did? That's actually cheese you're tasting. Okay. Get me another sandwich. (laughs) So then the manager comes out and says, hey, listen, we did take the mayonnaise off. That's a cheese that you're... Listen, fella. I don't have the most, you know, discriminating palate out there. You know, I there are some things, sometimes I feel like things, sometimes I don't. But I know what I don't like. I know the taste of mayonnaise. I know what it tastes like. I know if there's been a food near mayonnaise. 
I know you don't have to tell, you don't even have to, that's mayonnaise. Get it out of here. I don't want to eat it. I can't eat it. I can't physically put it down. There are three things that I can't eat. Mayonnaise, split pea soup, and liver. I can't eat them. Like, well, what if you're starving? I'd probably die because my body would not accept them. It'd rather die. You know, you put an egg salad sandwich in front of me. It's just, it's death or egg salad? Death. I'm not, there's no choice. Point being, you know, Jordan, when he was a little guy, I watched, I watched him have this look on his face when he put a mushroom in his mouth. And I went, oh, I know that look. <laughs> Don't ever feed that kid mushrooms again. He's, he can't stomach him. You know, he just can't. Ha- That's where God feels with this stuff. God's just not even going to stomach it. He has, there's no place for it in the Christian. We're not even going to argue about those things. Those things God is not even receiving. But the difficult part is when you do those things, there's still an incompleteness there. Because every person who comes to Jesus, once they get those things out of their life, just like this young man did, they know there's still something that they lack. And that's what this guy actually says. He says, what, I've done all these things, but what else do you lack? And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, that word teleos, if you want to be whole, if you want to be complete, then go sell all your possessions and follow me. Because now we get into, we step into a different, role here. Now we've put away all those things that displease God, and now we are on a road trying to do what pleases God. And what pleases God is a little bit more difficult to find out than what pleases God, than what displeases God. That's pretty laid out in the scripture. But what pleases God, the walk that you have to walk, the different avenues that God wants you to put, to do, that's a lot harder to discern than what displeases him. Think about it this way. This, this young man, we think of him as being greedy, and I don't necessarily think that's the case. It could be. Now, I, in, on my soapbox, would like to think that if Jesus came up to me and said, hey, sell all and follow me, that I'd be all, yeah. Here you go, poor. Have every, and, I would, and I don't know. I don't know. Has anybody ever been asked to sell everything they have? You know, has anybody ever, what if God, what if God blessed you with the stuff you have and then asks you to sell it all? Where would your perception, this guy's probably going, and I don't know this for sure, I'm speculating here. I give to the poor already. I earn this money. I've kept the commandments. I've done everything I've been asked to do. I love the Lord. I want to, you know, I want to, you know, I, I do all these things. I built a temple. I've done all these things, whatever. Why should I give those things up when I could do so much good with it? That could have been what he was thinking, that really what you're asking me to do is bad because I could do so much good with this stuff. But the minute that he walks away sorrowful, he has now entered into disobedience, and now he is going to walk away still lacking. He's never going to be whole. 
Has anybody ever heard that term? It's one of my favorites. Don't sacrifice the good for the perfect. It's one of my favorite lines. You know, but if I just, you know, if I just do this, yeah, but this is a good situation. Just go with that. That's a good job. Just take that. Yeah, but I could get this over here. Yeah, and you could lose the good. You know, don't sacrifice the good for the perfect. But Jesus asks us to give up the good in order to be perfect. To give up what we consider to be good in order to receive completeness in him. There is a point where we go beyond avoiding what displeases God and, and actually searching out what does please him. All disobedience displeases God, but we must go beyond the commandments, not go beyond as that we, don't, we just don't even do them anymore, but we go beyond in the sense that those aren't even a thing we struggle with anymore. We have done those, we've completed those, and we get into what pleases the Lord. And sometimes what pleases the Lord at one point displeases him in another. God blessed this young man with wealth, and he was, has been obedient up until this point. And it would be difficult for any one of us to suddenly give up or lose what, God, what we feel God has blessed us with. Think about it this way. The children of Israel are about to enter the promised land. And they spy out the land, and they're scared, and they don't want to go in. So they just said, no, we're not going in. How could God you know, bring us out here to die? And God gets angry with them and says, okay, forget it. We're going back in the desert. And then they're like, whoa, whoa, well, we'd rather just go back into the promised land. Let's pack our swords. Let's get in there. We could do this. And we, can, we go in, and they go into the, into the promised land and get wiped out. Now, why is that? Was it God, wasn't God wanting them to go in the promised land? But it was all about at one point he did, and at one point he didn't. And that changed. And at some points, God just changes things, and we're trying to fight to keep them. I mean, there's been times, you know, where we have people in this place, in this church body, who've been blessed by God and then have gone broke. Now, who did they do something wrong, or did God just change direction? You know, I mean... God's blessed a lot of us with new houses. I just bought a house, and, and I consider that God blessed me with those things. God has blessed me with a good job. But there may be one point where God looks at the job and says, yeah, we're done with that. We're going over here. And I could be going, yeah, but God, I give a lot from that job. Yeah, but I do a lot with that job. I do a lot with that money. It can't be good that I, that I give it up. I have a lot of good people come over to that house, and I fellowship with them. I shouldn't be able to give up that house. And so we try to hold on to it. Now we become, uh, well, now we're fighting against God. Because God's trying to do some good, but we have a perception of what's good, and he's moved off of that. And now it becomes bad. Now it's no longer good, because God's not in it anymore. And once God's not in it, then it, it isn't good anymore. Not intrinsically good. Everybody following me tonight? Because we, and I say we, the modern church, have such a lack of understanding of who Jesus is, we have a total lack of understanding of what good is because we don't know Jesus. And so good is whatever pleases Jesus. It is as simple as that, yet it is as difficult as that. 
because God's always doing different things in our lives, moving us from one place to another. And if we're stuck because we think where we're at is good, we're going to wind up bad. Amen? Amen. But Jesus is the rock, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't move. Well, I'm not with Jesus yet. You guys hear me? I'm not with him yet. I'm not in heaven. I'm on the path that leads to life. I'm not, I don't have eternal life yet. And so I'm trying to move towards him. And where I'm at and where he is, it may be going a different, and I got to move. I've got to follow wherever he goes. I got to follow him to Red Bluff, Pastor Rodney, and do a ministry there. Brother Austin, I've got to go to the park ministry and do a ministry there. And then God says, that's enough. And I got to move off of that ministry. I got to go into something else because God's doing something different. Psalms 119 and 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But think about what a, how much light does a lamp really give you? Not much. It just illuminates right in front of you. And that's the word of the God. He's just, he's just illuminating right in front of us, and we're just walking, and we got to walk by that light, and it's going to whine, and it's a narrow road. And if we don't pay attention to right, what's right in front of us and be prepared to just keep walking and move wherever that light goes, we're going to wind up on a different road. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to close right here, but I still got a page, so it's a long close. I'm going to try to leave you some encouragement tonight. But I got to do some history, and that's where we're all, oh, Dustin's got a history lesson. <laughs> Trust me. Listen, listen carefully, because I'm trying to make a, 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 point, a point here. Herod the Great ruled, ruled Judea, Samaria, and Galilee as a police state. 10% of the population ruled the other 90%. King Herod the Great died in 4 BC. That's about the same time that Jesus was born. Amid political turmoil and religious unrest, and immediately following his death, the country entered a period of revolution and violence that in many ways foreshadows the very well-known events of 66 AD, AD the famous Jewish war. And although it was... Same, it was on a smaller, you know, a smaller scale, but that was happening at this time. He ruled with, uh, he had a long, bloody career and paranoid even by the standards of Hellenistic monarchs. He's crazy. He ruled through tactics of mass terror and widespread surveillance that sometimes sound like a foretaste of the Stalin years. And he was an equal opportunity, brutal person. In fact, he was the only one keeping two warring factions of Jews from killing each other. So as soon as he died, there was fear of civil war. If you look back in history, they said this was the most violent place on the planet at that time. I read one historian who said, and it's hard for me to fathom this, but he said in that year, there were over 10,000 different skirmishes between Herod, the Jews, and the Romans. That's like 30 a day that were going on in that region. It was an awful place to live. It was a terrible place. And yet, at this point in time, 
God steps out of heaven and becomes incarnate on the earth in this time, in that violent time. Now, why would he do that? What good would that do? Does that sound good to you, like a good place to be born in, a good period of time? Why couldn't he have picked when David was on the throne, a man after his own heart? Why wouldn't he pick, you know, when Solomon was king, perfect time of peace to be born into that? Or maybe when Ezra and Nehemiah were coming back from captivity and all the Jews had a repentant heart because they were coming back into their own. Why couldn't he pick that time? He picked this time because he thought that was the perfect time, that that was a good time to be born. Put yourself in the, in the shoes of a Jew at this time. You're oppressed from all sides. You've been taught all your life that some deliverer is going to come and get you out of this mess. And then the one who's, who does come doesn't have any intention of delivering you out of that mess. He thought it was good that you should stay in that mess. In fact, the disciples are going to even ask him after he's resurrected, Lord, you're going to deliver the kingdom at this time? Are we going to get out of this mess at this time? Nope. You're good. This is the good time. Because in this time, God is still good. God is still good even in that time. Even now, God is good. With all the turmoil going on, God is still good. God is still doing good things. God looks at this time that we're in, and he says, it's good. It's a good time. God doesn't stop being good because of what's going on around us. God doesn't stop wanting to do good things in our life because of things around us. Is God not good in China? Trust me, China's got it way worse than we do. Like, it's not even calculable. But God's still good. Still good there. God's still good in the Middle East. God's still good wherever he is glorified, God is good. Wherever he is obeyed, he is good. Wherever he is followed, he is good. Amen? Amen. Pastor.